If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning that by your spirit and through your word, your word that doesn't change, that we would be able to encounter you. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a heart that perceives, because we need more than anything else an encounter with you that's profound and deep and life-changing, because you have words, words of life for us, and allow us to hear them. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, We're finishing our sermon series that we started at the beginning of the year entitled, We Believe. And in this series, we're trying to unpack some of the core convictions that fuel our church's mission. And our mission statement, as David said a little bit ago, is to gather, to grow, and to go. And many of you are new uh, to grace and are trying to figure out what is behind this, you know, uh, what animates all of this. And after five weeks today, we want to talk about the scriptures, the Bible, because this is so central to everything that we do. And you may have noticed even just after the scripture reading, we do this every week where the reader ends with, this is the word of the Lord. And we respond with, thanks be to God. Now, that may be new for some of you, and you've been itching to ask, but you feel like you can't. Why do we do this? You know, um, because we're telling ourselves something. We're proclaiming something. Because we believe God has something to say to us, and he says it through his scripture. So each week, the pastors, those of us who are up here, we are not here to share our wisdom or our politics 
give you some self-help spirituality, nor are we here to provide you a Christian version of a TED Talk on how to deal with your anger or anxiety, how to get your life together. But we gather each week to worship God and hear from him in the scriptures, to encounter him in his word. And because we believe this is what we need more than anything else. You know, because if you think about it, God's word is presented as the one constant, the thing that doesn't fluctuate in all the changes that our world goes through, whether it's as the kingdoms rise and fall, as political administrations come and go. And if we think about our own lives, all the joys and disappointments, the successes and failures in our sorrows and pain, the one constant, the thing that comforts us, the thing that stays true and remains is his promises to us that he makes in Jesus. And he tells us he wants us to be rooted in the scriptures and to be shaped by his promises and, and the story about what he's doing in us and in our world. I want us to think about all of this by considering this passage from John chapter 5 and asking, you know, what is the Bible? What are we talking about here? Because in this chapter, what we see is Jesus' understanding of the scriptures. Jesus talks about, as he argues here, how he views the scriptures, and we want that to inform how we think about the scriptures as well. And the chapter actually begins with Jesus healing a man who has been sick. And we're told he was a man who was an invalid, who had been suffering for 38 years. Some of you are like, I haven't even lived that long. So this man's been sick for that long. And Jesus comes along and heals him on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders get very upset and they confront Jesus because he has gone against God's law about the Sabbath. So the thinking goes in their mind, wait, you can wait until tomorrow to heal him. Okay, he's been sick for 38 years. One more day is not that big a deal because today is the Sabbath. And in verse 18, we see how Jesus has responded, which is his claim is, you know what? I have the authority to do this because I am equal with God himself, which infuriates the leaders. They want to kill him. They're saying, this is blasphemy. And we pick up the passage where Jesus is giving a theological argument for the claims of who he is, that he himself is God, the one who has authority on heaven and on earth, that God has given witnesses and testimonies about who Jesus is. And this is the meaning of verse 31 and 32, where it says, if I alone, if I alone excuse me, bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He's saying, my claim to say I am equal with the Father is not enough. So we have eyewitnesses. He says, there was John the Baptist, who he's referring, referring to in verses 31 and 32. And he says, there's another star witness, the Scriptures. And the rest of the chapter is about Jesus criticizing the religious leaders of their view of the scriptures. And although they love the Bible, Jesus says to them, you are deaf to what God is saying. And he comes after these religious people who approach the Bible with reverence 
and tells them, you actually don't believe the scriptures because if you did, you would believe me. And this is a sobering passage, especially for those of us who've grown up around the church, who've been used to memorizing the Bible, who know the Bible, because Jesus is saying it's possible not to hear God at all. So let's take a look at Jesus' view of the scriptures as we follow his argument here. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus is saying the scriptures, the Bible is from God and it is not a human book. Now he doesn't say it was not written by human beings because in verse 46 he says, Moses wrote of me. So what does he mean? Because if you go to the beginning of our passage and if you read it carefully, Jesus says, you have received testimony about me from John the Baptist. But again, John's testimony isn't enough. So in verses 37 and following, and let me read here and read and follow along here. It says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Do you hear that? He's saying, God the Father has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, you have never seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who has sent me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying what? It is God bearing witness about him in his word, okay? Now, some of us here are thinking, you know, I think about the Bible as a book about God that human authors have written. You know, there's a lot of good things in here, maybe wisdom, advice, guidance, law, how to be a good person. But these are just people trying to make sense of the world we live in. And yet, the way Jesus approaches the Bible is very different. He says, yes, Moses, you know, let's say David, uh, Luke, Matthew, St. Paul, they wrote the Bible, humanly speaking. But what they wrote was actually words from God, the testimony and the witness of God speaking to us. And it isn't just Moses' opinion about God, but actually he speaks God's word. That's an interesting way to look at things. Now, Jesus actually makes the same point in Matthew 19. When a man comes along and asks him about, well, can I just divorce my wife for whatever reason I want? And he says this. Jesus quotes God in verse 4. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, these words that you're very familiar with, you hear often at weddings. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, God who created male and female. And then he goes on to quote Genesis 2, 24, saying this is what God said. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God actually didn't say that. The author of Genesis, Moses, wrote that as a comment about the creation narrative. But Jesus quotes Moses and says, that's what God said. You see, you see what's going on here? Now, this is exactly what we read also in 2 Peter chapter 1. 
in verse 21, this is what the Apostle Peter says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying this. What you have in the Bible, what you have in the Scriptures, is although you have human authors, they wrote it. Moses, David, Luke, Paul. What was written by human beings is actually God's word to us. And he's asking, do you believe that? Because the answer you give to that question has huge, huge implications. Because if it is from God, gosh, because this is Jesus' point. Why don't you believe it? This is what he's saying to the religious people. This has huge implications for you, for life and for death. And that's a question that continues to hang in the air. Now, the second thing Jesus says is that this is actually God's word. He also is saying, God is speaking to us, therefore, it is true and trustworthy. Now, stay with me on this, because if you look carefully at this passage, he is saying to the religious leaders in the second half of verse 37, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, meaning you've never heard directly from God, you've never seen God, and if you follow down the passage in verse 39, he's saying you still have the witness about me in the Bible. Even though you've never had an audible voice and you've never experienced God in the way that maybe the apostles did in the Mount of Transfiguration, he's saying you still have the witness of God. It is true. It is trustworthy because it comes from him. Say in Peter chapter 1 again, verse 16, it says this, for we did not cleverly uh, excuse me, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know what Peter is saying? He said, we were there with Jesus. We heard the voice from heaven. We saw him transfigured. We saw a vision that included Moses and Elijah, but we have something actually more certain, the prophetic word, the scriptures, the Bible. See? Now, some of you are saying, you know, I've been trying to read the Bible to understand what God has said. And you know, it would be a lot easier if I actually had a vision or if I actually heard a voice okay, an experience that confirms this. And Peter is saying, you know what? You don't need a voice from heaven. You don't need a vision. You have something more certain, which is the scriptures. See, because if you hear a voice or have a vision, number one, it really could be God. Let's say that's possible. 
And that sometimes this happened. It has happened in the scriptures. But number two, we know it might not be from God because sometimes we take things that we believe, whether it suits our agenda or we baptize or part a certain thing that we believe about the way the world is, and we say, this is actually from God. And this is what the false prophets actually did in the Old Testament. If you go back to Jeremiah 28, the false prophets came to the Israelites and told them, hey, we're in Babylon, but you know what? God has told us we're going to leave very soon, so don't get too comfortable here. And Jeremiah 29, they're confronted because Jeremiah says, God didn't say that. You guys are making that up because you want to believe that. See? And they were there many, many years. So it could be from God. Number two, you can't tell the difference between this is your agenda and this is actually God. Or number three, perhaps you imagine it. You know, it's like you're looking at that sushi you left out overnight and you're thinking, should I eat it or not? I ate it. I'm not feeling great. But... I'm feeling something. I'm imagining something. You know, how do I know? You don't know. But when you open the Bible, what do you have? You have God's word and the scriptures are saying it is trustworthy. And what Jesus is saying is when you have the scriptures, you actually have God speaking to us. It is better than a vision. It's better than an audible voice from heaven. And it's true. It is trustworthy. I mean, and this is really hard for us to swallow because as, as you know, David mentioned during the confession, sometimes people misuse the scriptures. And other times we feel like we read things in here and we're thinking, come on, we can't accept this anymore. We're smarter We're awakened. We know more than the people did back then. These things belong to different times and different places. We can't accept that today. We have to revise this to fit our narrative and our world today. And if Jesus asked, why would you do that? We would say, well, the experts, public opinion would say, these teachings, these are outdated. And yet, Jesus says something very different. Look, these are God's words. We do not sit in judgment on God's word. It actually needs to go the other way. These things that are eternal, these things that are true, if it is actually from God, don't do what the religious leaders are doing because they're not paying attention. They're reading their own situation into it. And they're not able to see God has actually come in the person of Jesus. You see? He is saying, God is speaking, but you need to listen. Okay? And he's saying, how do you understand if it is true or not? He's saying, look at what the Bible said. And I think that's very hard for us. You know, because I think all of us, for the the majority of us here, look, We all, I think, want that wonderful relationship with Jesus. Or even if you're curious and exploring Christianity, you're saying, I want that thing everybody talks about that you can get from Jesus. But I don't know if I want all this stuff about the Bible actually having authority over my life or speaking into my life or challenging me. 
We want all the good stuff about Jesus that we like. Forgiveness, renewal, being part of his church community, going out and do great things, feeling satisfied, but we don't want the scriptures to evaluate us. And Jesus says, you can't separate the two out. You can't say, I love all the verses that encourages, encourages me, gives me peace, you know, the peace that surpasses all understanding, perfect love that casts out fear, deal with all of that stuff. But the minute we experience something that feels like it's pushing hard back against us, you say, hold on, stiff arm, okay, let's keep that part far away, you know, and Jesus is saying, hey, how can you have me in your life and not adopt my view of the scriptures? They go hand in hand, you see. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to these people. It's like, you can't really understand the scriptures unless you see it's about me. And you can't really understand Jesus apart from the scriptures. See, His whole life and his ministry was based on the scriptures. How often does Jesus say, oh, for it is written. How does he deal with temptation in Matthew chapter 4? It is written. How does he deal with the hardest moment in his life when he's about to go to the cross and he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he's asking God, oh, what am I going to do? I sense all that is coming. And he says, hey, not my will, but yours be done. And when the apostle Peter comes out, when everyone comes to arrest Jesus, you know what he does? He takes out a sword and he's about to strike everyone down. And Jesus says, you know what? I can call 12 legions of angels if I want. But if I did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus is thinking about the Bible all the time. And even on the cross, he's quoting what? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you say, I want Jesus, but I don't want the Bible to examine me, scrutinize me, telling me I need to follow him because that's where life is, that is you're not really getting the real Jesus. You see, the scriptures in Christ say all of these go together. And in these, Jesus is saying, this is where you find life. You see, and this is how God speaks to us through his word. And Jesus begins to explain why we don't hear him. I think this is an important part of the passage. The thing that is surprising is that Jesus is saying all this to religious leaders, people who love the Bible and have a high view of the scriptures. And he says on that last day, Moses and the writers of the scriptures will call you into judgment because you didn't listen. This is this is actually really interesting. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Here, these people are saying, but we love the Bible. You know, we've memorized the Bible. And Jesus is saying, you are deaf to what God is saying and you did not believe him at all. He is rebuking them, obviously. He 
because he's saying you are missing the testimony and the witness of Scripture even though you say you love the Scriptures. He isn't saying your problem is that you love the Scriptures or the view you have of it, that it is actually God's Word. But he's saying something about how they go about using the Scriptures or maybe better described as misusing the Scriptures. Because they're looking at it as rules to follow in order to find life, to do something to be made right with God. And they look at it and they see everybody else and they say, here are all the ways these people are not following God's rule. Because the path to life is all the things you need to do. And they're approaching it in such a way that is actually counterproductive and actually misses all of what the Bible is about. And they grow in a sense of pride. There is this sense of self-denial of what they really need. They become the insufferable people who know all the right answers, who are critical of everybody else, but they do not grow in humility and a desire to say, God, what I find in your word is more than anything else. I need you to save me. They're not getting there. Rather, they're insufferable. You know, really difficult people because they are committed to their view of Scripture more than the Scriptures themselves. This is why they're mad at Jesus because he healed someone. And, and, well, it happened on the Sabbath. So they said, well, Jesus, it's good you healed someone, but you should have waited a day. I'm like, you guys are missing the point of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and they are not hearing him at all. There's no evidence of change. The patience, the kindness, and the gentleness with those who would disagree, those who hurt you. There's no self-control. None of those things because they miss what the scriptures are all about. So they miss the purpose of the scriptures. That's why they don't hear. They don't hear because they miss the purpose. The scriptures are meant to teach us we need saving. We can't save ourselves. And God has done something. See, it's not a rule book. It's not something to wave around and throw flags at other people. It's first and foremost a book about God's story of redemption. God saying, I love you so much that I have done something to make things right. See, that's the first thing. They miss that. The second thing Jesus says, the scriptures actually has a point, okay? And I think we've seen this already, but there's this parallel between John the Baptist and the scriptures, which are very important. He says the scriptures testify to Jesus. And here's what the scriptures actually do. They point to something. They point to something. Because what did John the Baptist do when people came to him and say, are you the one? He says, I'm not the one. There's one who is coming. See? The Bible actually points us to Jesus. This is what Christ is actually focusing on in this passage. If you're reading the Bible carefully, okay, and you're noticing every story, every law, in many ways is a signpost to a reality that points to Jesus. Look at verse 46. What do you think it means by this? For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. He wrote of me. 
Now, if you're, if you're a Bible scholar and know your Bible, you're going to say, where did Moses write about Jesus? Look at the golden rule, maybe in Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, right? Now, think about how are you supposed to love your neighbor as yourself? You can try, Okay. You can try really hard to love someone else as yourself. But the more you reflect on this, you realize, gosh, I fail at loving my family. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. I fail at loving my wife well, you know. I'm a me first kind of person. But the law is testifying to something. That there is only one who actually loved his neighbor as himself. And that was Jesus. He loved us so perfectly, he gave up his life for his neighbor. He saw those who were his enemies, and he said, I have compassion on them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Moses wrote of the one who is to come. All of these things are pointing us to something, to Jesus. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Paul says the law is a schoolmaster. That's what it says in the King James Version or guardian in our modern version to bring you to Jesus. This is in Galatians chapter 3. Because if you think you can obey the law by trying hard enough so that you feel good about yourself and God is now in your debt to do things for you, he's saying you can't. The whole point is you can't. Only Jesus can And when you begin to understand that, he says, this is what begins to transform you. Because on the last day, it says, the scriptures will accuse us. His voice you have not heard, his form you have not seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. See, if you read the Bible without seeing how it connects all to Jesus, it's saying it's going to judge you. Some of, it know, some of us know it inside out, but read it for information rather than allowing these words to form and to shape us. Now, lastly, how do we read it then? How, do we, how can we read it in this way? Here's my one really quick tip. Look, you have to read the scriptures with the purpose of trying to meet him. To meet him. Reading it for information is different. Reading it to study it, to criticize it is different. Reading it to say, God, I want to meet you. I want to meet Jesus. I want the scriptures to literally connect me to the good news that you have given us and shown us and demonstrated to us through your son. Because when that happens, The Bible is no longer just the Bible. It's not a story over here. It's not something you scrutinize. It's a story that includes you. It's a story that includes me. It's a story that's not about anything else but a God who has come to save you. And when that connection is made, there's life. There's change. There's freedom. There's joy. There's hope. There's comfort. And this is what we're being invited into. The scriptures. 
Jesus isn't here to be your life coach or your personal chaplain. He says, I'm here to save you. I live the perfect life and die the death you deserve so that you can be united to me by faith, so that you're accepted, and so that the love of God will be in you. And you find this in the scriptures. We find it in the scriptures. And Jesus says, come and connect to me in this story. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you do not leave us alone, but you actually give us your word. You give us your son, and you tell us all that we need to know about life and where to find it. And we ask that this morning, that regardless of where we are, whether we're excited about the Bible or we're skeptical about it, the thing that needs to happen is we need to encounter you through it. And would you do that, Lord? Would you do that because you're kind and you're gracious and you want people to have a deep, profound relationship with you? And it's found in your word. And we ask that you would make that possible for us, help us to grow in it, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.